And so as we turn to this chapter, um, uh, there, there are three times in this chapter where uh, we're, we're pointed to um, uh, the things that we ought to rejoice in. And, and so in the, the first chapter, it says, uh, our first verse and second verse, therefore we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained an introduction to by faith into his grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God manifested in us and through us and around us. We rejoice in that. In verse 11, it says we rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. And, and what is reconciliation? Again, just to, to, uh, I, to expand on that just a moment, it says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Uh, and all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And, and then Paul says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He made those who knew no sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we have this, this great promise of reconciliation in which we rejoice, because our sin debt has been paid in full, in Colossians, it says that, that the, the debt that we owed, uh, the certificate of debt, has been nailed to the cross, and it's no more ours to carry. So we rejoice in that. But in the third and uh, in, in the fifth verse, through, third through fifth verses, uh, there's another kind of uh, rejoicing that we're pointed to. Uh, it, it begins, not only this, we also rejoice in our tribulation. So we rejoice in tribulation. That, that sounds a bit odd at first. Why in the world would we rejoice in tribulation? Um, th this is an important uh, topic, and I I'm turning here off for a reason I'll explain in a moment, but um, being reconciled to God, being redeemed in Christ, being secure in your salvation, being hidden in Christ doesn't make life easy. Uh, uh, Fred says last week, everyone experiences hardship in life, and true faith doesn't deny that reality. We have to face the fact that difficult times come. It's only false faith that pretends all is well when it's not. And, and so uh, I, I actually have developed a habit my wife's not real uh, pleased with. Uh, my, my motto from day to day, is, uh, we, we renovate houses and sell them, and, and uh, that's a, a process that's uh, often difficult. And so I, I'm always saying nothing is easy. And she said, I wish I wouldn't say that, but it's true. Nothing really is easy. And uh, in, in fact, uh, th there was a time in the past when I was leading a mission in Bosnia, and we had 25 people from our church living on the field full time and 25 churches working with us in this ministry. And, um, and during the war and after the war, trying to start churches in a, a Muslim context. And um, after some time uh, in this process, uh, we had uh, a, a major uh, problem on the field uh, difficulties born from uh, a number of people, Bosnian and American, who had fallen into immorality at various levels. And so as the director of the mission, I went to Bosnia and, and had to uh, kind of set things straight. We had to take some people off the field and discipline others. And, and um, uh, it, it, I, I stayed there two months. It's the longest I've been away from my wife in, in uh, 48 years of marriage. And and uh, so I came back weary and uh, a bit discouraged and still facing more at home to, to work through all the issues that we had on our, on our hands. And uh, out of the blue, I got a call from a man named Anthony Hulzabeth, who lives in Michigan. I met him at a conference in Dallas, Texas, 
years before. We don't know each other very well. He gave me a prophetic word then that proved very fruitful. And so he called me out of the blue and he said, John, what's going on these days in your life? And so I explained this issue just having come back from Bosnia. And he said, well, that, that helps me a little bit. Uh, I, I've been praying for you for four days and I asked the Lord, Lord, why, why is John so heavy on my heart right now? And the Lord said, John is asking me every day, Lord, when is it going to get easier? And he said, God told me to call you to tell you, John, it's not going to get easier. Uh, and you know what? I was encouraged uh, because it, it pointed out to me that God knew what was going on. He knew what I was facing. He was aware of my circumstance. And to help me be uh, resolved about that, he talked to somebody half a country away from me about my situation said, call him and tell him, relax, it's not going to get easier. And it hasn't gotten easier, I'll tell you. So uh, I was with the, the first service this morning, some of the seniors in the church, and I said, the, the hard thing about this reality is we don't, as we grow older, we don't outgrow tribulation, okay? And, and life continues to be difficult. So um, in recent weeks, this, this has been on my heart more than normal because in our life group, uh, we've had a series of circumstances that happened back to back to back to back where death kept coming and knocking at our door. We, we had a, a new person in the group a few weeks ago who said, well, at the end of our, an evening together, she said, why is it that bad things happen to good people anyway? And uh, so I said, well, we can't do that right now, but we'll come back to it in the weeks to come. And so we started thinking in that direction. The next week, we had somebody come that had been away for a few weeks. And she said, uh, since I was last here, uh, my best friend in Jamaica, this couple happens to come from Jamaica, my best friend in Jamaica, passed away from cancer. She's in her mid-30s. and So I went to her funeral. I was really sad. I got to Jamaica and got a call from the States and found out that my father had passed away in Florida. So I went to the one funeral and flew back to the other funeral, went down to Florida for my father's funeral, and got a call. I was there that my favorite pastor in Jamaica had been killed in a car accident the day before. And so just one thing after another. Sometimes tribulation comes in waves. And, and so... Uh, the, the next day, I got an, an email from a, a church in Huntsville, Alabama, announcing that the, the, the senior elder in this church has a large family, and uh, they live on a compound. They've got, uh, I think, nine children and lots of grandchildren, and some of them live on this mountain together, and they have a family estate there and all. Uh, Blue-collar people work with their hands, good, godly, you know, all-American family. And so somebody announced to me without explanation uh, that one of the grandchildren had died uh, in a tragic accident the day before. And I thought, gosh, here we go again, you know. And uh, so, so this has been kind of heavy on me. Uh, the text, uh, if you look at it, verses 3 to 5, let me just pray and we'll read the text together. And uh, Father, I, I just ask that by the power of your spirit, you would open the hearts and minds and ears of the folks here to see your application of the truth in this text to their lives. Uh, bless us, Lord, with your presence and your power and your teaching gift as your spirit says, not what I have to say, but more than I have to say, even different things than I have to say as you teach the people here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here, here verses 3 to 5, is the text, and we'll unpack it. There, there are four... Uh, four points that I want to get to, uh, into your minds about how we're supposed to respond uh, trusting God in the midst of tribulation. Okay, that's where we're headed. So here are the verses. And not only this, but we also rejoice in tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope 
and hope does not disappoint because of the love of God which has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, Paul's not the only one who makes this declaration uh, that tribulation is going to be a part of our life. It started with Jesus in John 16, where Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And, and so I'd start off just, just pointing out to you, this is not one of the, first po- the four points I'm talking about, but, but just reflecting on Jesus' teaching here, uh, he's offering a premise and a promise. Uh, so the premise is that life will involve tribulation. That, that's a reality we all have to face. And true faith, as, as Fred was teaching last week, requires us to face that in reality. Um, that's the premise. But it's balanced with the promise that Jesus triumphs over this world and every hardship it entails. Okay? So, so uh, he is more powerful than anything you'll have. We've sung about that this morning. Anything you'll have to face. Um, so, so what is tribulation? Tribulations are times of testing, present opportunities to, to try your faith. Uh, they, they challenge and develop our capacity to trust God and his sovereignty over the hardest circumstances in life. The, the Greek word used here is, is a, 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 a kind of a broad and comprehensive word. Uh, it involves everything great and small that would vex you, okay? Everything that would trouble you. So uh, it, it covers... Uh, it literally means to be under pressure um, and to be afflicted or feeling anguish or distress. And it includes frustrations, maybe road rage even would fit into that. Um, being afflicted, uh, I'm sorry, uh, personal challenges, ill health, strained relationships. In First Corinthians 7, Paul says it includes marriage. We wouldn't think tribulation in marriage. He says, I- I'm advising you, if you're not married, stay that way. Uh, but if you're going to get married, just understand you're going to suffer tribulation, and I'm trying to spare you that trouble, okay? So some of us, I've been married 48 years, I testify this is true, you know? So not because of gender, because of me. Um, so so uh, marriage, divorce, betrayals, vocational, financial, economic setbacks, accidents, natural disasters, verbal abuse, physical abuse, wars, quarrels, loss of a loved one through death, like this series of people I was describing to you, all those things fit into this, this idea of tribulation. And so I want you to think of your life right now and the circumstances you're facing, and I'm asking the Spirit to speak to you about where you're going to have to respond by trusting God in the midst of your own tribulation. And then I want to develop these four points about how we respond um, in, in an appropriate way. So first... Uh, from verse 3, uh, we're called to face tribulation with a sense of celebration. And uh, that, that's what rejoice or uh, uh, exalt in New American Standard, uh, that, that's what that means, to, to celebrate when you're in this kind of uh, spot. <clears throat> it's not the only place in the Bible where this is taught. Uh, in in uh, James 1, 2-4, many of you would be familiar with the passage, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. There's our word again. Uh, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and that, that's uh, coming up in our chapter again. Uh, it produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete in everything. Uh, in First Peter, Peter writes about this, and he says, Don't think it's strange that you're encountering these fiery trials. Uh, these are for the testing of your faith. Just keep rejoicing. Uh, so, so this is a common teaching. It seems odd to us. Um, and, and so I just ask you, in your own walk with God, in your own life, 
have you had times when you thought that you were between a rock and a hard place? Uh, if, if you've been a, between a rock and a hard place, raise your hand. Okay, almost everybody. Um, so if you haven't been, you will be, all right, according to this text. So, uh, so think of Paul and Silas for, for an example from Acts 16 when they're in Philippi and they're witnessing the gospel, seeing people come to Christ, and they're accosted for delivering a woman of a demon uh, who was a fortune teller, and they're beaten in public, uh, stripped of their clothes, beaten in public, delivered to a jail, put into the deepest dungeon, a very dark place, left in stocks to increase their pain, uh, and they're there at midnight in a really hard place. And what does the scripture say they were doing? They were praying and praising God and singing, singing hymns. Okay? They're responding with rejoicing in the midst of that kind of turmoil. And it's, it, it's, uh, uh, this is the kind of response that's not just gutting out the hardship. Uh, it involves trusting Jesus and taking refuge in him. So let, let me quote from, uh, some, from Psalm 18, 1 to 3. Uh, in, in this context, David is fleeing Saul, and he's also fighting with the enemies of Israel, uh, and he's under a lot of stress, and he's got a ragtag uh, band of men fighting with him, and he's under a lot of pressure. And he, he uh, writes this in Psalms. I love you, Lord. You're my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. You're my shield. Uh, and the horn of my salvation, you're my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised in the midst of this hardship, uh, and I'm saved from my enemies. In the next chapter, he says, God is my rock and my redeemer. So, so that's, that's someone responding in faith to a trial or tribulation um, and rejoicing in the midst of it. Um, Paul and Silas prayed uh, and praised while they were in pain and in prison, and an earthquake came and shook the building to the ground and set them free, and the whole thing turned around. Um, you may not experience an earthquake, and you might experience an earthquake, at least metaphorically, as God turns uh, a really hard circumstance into a source of joy for you. But that happens as you trust God and respond uh, to tribulation in faith. So, so I would say, uh, you, you could say this, I can rejoice under trial because Jesus is my rock and he's completely reliable. Uh, so you might want to write that in your notes if you're keeping notes in that little booklet. Uh, the second lesson from this um, uh, few verses uh, is born from where it says uh, tribulation, we know, uh, produces perseverance. Uh, so we recognize that hardships are meant to produce perseverance in our walk with God. When difficult times come, the question is, will we hold fast to our faith in Jesus and his kind intentions toward us? Now, what's Perseverance. I, I'm, I'm going to step out of the text in uh, Romans just a second. In, in 2 Peter 1, uh, P Peter has a series of faith uh, elements that should be developed in our lives and increasing, and he contrasts self-control and perseverance. Okay, self-control is the ability to say no uh, to the things that come easily to us in the flesh and that we want to indulge in. That's self-control, saying no. But perseverance is saying yes when things are really hard, and we'd really rather not, but this is what God's bringing to us, and so we say, yes, Lord, and receive what he's got. Uh, so the word actually means to abide under, that is to, to stay and endure uh, the trying circumstances, a willingness to keep going when everything in you wants to stop. Um, we persevere by keeping on, keeping on. 
And I, I want to say this to the youth group. Just, uh, this thought came to me this morning when I was praying with the men earlier. Um, after, the, after World War II ended and uh, England was successful, Churchill was their prime minister, a, a great orator, um, a great leader uh, who helped defeat, defeat Nazism and all. And after the war, he was invited as still the prime minister to go speak to a, a youth group at a, at a men's or a boys' uh, high school. And so everybody was excited to see what's this great leader going to say to these young men who are anticipating their future but haven't gone through this kind of hardship. What's he going to say? He's a great order. They're expecting a big speech. And he gets up and kind of, he's, he's kind of an older guy. He saunters over to the microphone and he looks at the children and he says, never, 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 never give up. And he sat down. That was the whole thing. That's perseverance, okay? Uh, and, and so even at your ages, you're called to perseverance. Um, and, and so uh, we want to be faithful to God. Uh, Paul talks about uh, a perseverance a time in his life. He went through all kinds of hardship that 2 Corinthians 12 lays out. But he says this is one thing. I, he was bothered by uh, what he called a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't identify what it was exactly. And so he said, I, I entreated God three times. Please, God, take this away from me. And God answered back, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Persevere, and my strength will be proven in your weakness. And, and so, uh, so even Paul the Apostle had this kind of issue. And so we, we accept hardships as challenges that cause us, cause us to persevere. Okay? Uh, third, uh, we, we, the, the next part of this is perseverance uh, it, it says in the New American Standard, it brings about proven character. In the ESV, it says character. Um, and, and so I, I wrote in, in the third point here, something you might not expect, we need to accept truth that hard, the truth that the hardships are often being used by God to test our resolve to trust him. Okay? The purpose of the trial is to test your resolve to trust him. Now, why would I say that? That doesn't say proven character. But in the Greek, the, the Greek doesn't say proven character. Uh, the, the Greek says uh, that, uh, that uh, tribulation results in uh, our perseverance, and our perseverance brings about uh, a proving process. Okay, it doesn't say anything about character. It's just a proving process. That's the test. Um, the, the trial that you face is a refiner's fire intended to make you more like Jesus and to get some of the dross cooked out of your life like we do when we purify metals uh, through refinement. So, so that's the objective. And we see this lived out in various uh, characters from the Old and New Testament. Joseph, when he faces the temptation of seduction by Potiphar's wife, refuses to enter into sin and flees. He suffers for doing that, but he's not going to compromise his conviction in the face of that trial. Uh, when, when Daniel, as a child or a young boy, goes to Babylon as a, a prisoner of war, uh, he determines, whatever else happens, I'm not going to defile myself. So even with food, he was careful. Uh, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are, are brought to a, a, a pressing point when they're going to be thrown into a burning, uh, burning furnace if, if they don't bow before a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so they say, you know, uh, we're not going to do that. Well, then we're going to burn you. Well, God is able to help us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do that. That's perseverance. Um, and and um, you can think of Peter and John going to the temple, preaching the gospel, being arrested for that, beaten, 
and urged not to preach anymore. And I said, you know, who are we going to obey, God or you? We're going we're gonna to keep preaching, you know, so persevere. Um, so trials and tribulations are tests, and they're tailor-made for us. Uh, there's a, a, a professor of leadership dynamics at uh, Fuller Seminary. I don't know if he's still teaching there or not, but uh, he, he developed uh, classifications of trials that we face. And so he talks about obedience checks. Uh, when you know the word and you're facing a situation and only you and God are watching, will you obey the word? Uh, he talks about integrity checks. Uh, when it's just you and God and something happens and, and you get something illicitly, will you give it back or will you keep it? Uh, th- that's an integrity check. Uh, a word test. When God speaks a word to you, will you take it literally and do what God asks you to do? Uh, so there's all these tribulations come in all different kinds of forms and and structures, but they're tailor-made for you by God who loves you and who wants to develop your character. Uh, so when you're tempted, you might ask, in facing the, the, the tests or the uh, tribulation, you might say, what in the world is God doing? I, I don't understand this. Um, so I, I think of many instances in my life where I did the right thing and I got what I thought was the wrong result. You know, what is God doing? And I'm suggesting to you that's the wrong question. The right question is, in the midst of all this that I don't understand, how am I responding? Am I responding with trust and faith and rejoicing? That's where the text is trying to point us. So <clears throat> proving, proving our character involves enduring difficulty in a way that shows that we won't shrink back, uh, that our virtue has been tested under fire and, and, and proving worthy. Okay? So that's what God wants us to experience. And, and I would say, instead of seeking ways to get out of your trial... Instead, seek God for what you're supposed to get out of the trial. Okay, let me say that again because that sounds confusing. Instead of saying, God, how can I get out of this trial? Ask God, what is it you want me to get out of this trial? And I'll tell you this from 50 years of walking with Jesus. Uh, if you don't learn the lesson you were supposed to learn, you'll go around the mountain again. Because uh, he's faithful. He's not going to let it go. You know, so... so uh, try to be attentive to what he's trying to teach you. Uh, f- fourth point here, um, from the last part of this verse, uh, our proven character or our successful processing of the, the proving tra- test um, also produces hope. So the fourth point is we should expect that uh, proving our character in hardship will produce increased hope in the Lord. Uh, and he says this because God loves us and he's poured out on us the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we don't have to do this alone. We can't do this alone. The Spirit of God empowers us to endure in the midst of hardship. And uh, uh, I, I think of Philippians 2.13, uh, a verse where Paul writes to the Philippian believers, uh, God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Uh, so you're not on your own. You don't have to do it alone. You do it in his strength. And so last week, Fred taught us uh, what faith was not. He said, faith is not optimism. Uh, he, said, he said, it's not positive confession. He didn't use that term. I'm using that term. It's not positive confession where you assert an outcome you desire and, and pretend that it's so. It's not uh, denying that difficulties are happening. Faith is trusting our God. He is the object of our faith. We trust him because he loves us and he allows us to live on a higher plane of reality than what we know in the, in the flesh. Uh, so I want to say to you this morning, uh, hope, uh, in a similar way, is not a pie-in-the-sky dream scenario. Yeah. It's not what you wish for, okay? Uh, it, it's not, um, 
it, it's not, but, lost my place here just a second. Um, it's not us making an assertion for something we desire to come to pass. Uh, it's not playing, let's make a deal with God. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I, I'm assuming I'm not the only one in this room who has played, let's make a deal with God. Okay? So let's make a deal with God. Uh, that's not hope. Uh, that's, that's manipulation and negotiation, and that's not a game God plays with us. Okay? Um, so uh, hope is the confident expectation of something yet to occur. It's our assurance of God's active participation in our reality, whether it's good or bad. Uh, and, and so it involves uh, our trust. It, it, it lets us say, the one who has guided me here, guards me here, governs the process I'm in the midst of, and will eventually be glorified in the outcome. That's what hope is. Um, so hope is the expectation that God's hand governs everything even the hardest place in my life. And when we, when we realize this, uh, we can have an expectation of good things to come because God is, as we said this morning, good all the time. Uh, and, and so he's, he's got good intentions for us. In Romans 8, 28, it says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, in Jeremiah 29, 11, in the context of Israel going into 80 years of bondage in, uh, uh, in Babylon, on the verge of that, in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah says, God speaking, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Uh, they couldn't see that coming. All they saw was bondage laying ahead of them. And he says, don't get focused on this. There's more to come. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, 12, uh, Paul declares, I know whom I've believed, and, and I, uh, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day. Yes. So, so uh, all this, what the scripture calls momentary light affliction, is not to be compared to what God is trying to produce uh, in us and for us. Um, so uh, I, I like to have a sermon in a sentence when I preach. So here's my sermon in a sentence. If you want to make a note, it might be helpful for you to remember, okay? Uh, you are not between a rock and a hard place when you're under trial. You are not between a rock and a hard place as a believer in Christ. You are in the hands of the rock, and you're in the place of his choosing. Good or bad, casually difficult or extremely hard, God is at work, and the rock is there to be depended upon. Now, I mentioned this family in Huntsville that lost this child. And after getting a, uh, an email saying this child died, I wasn't, wasn't even sure where he fit in the family. I, I sent uh, an email and said, what happened here? And uh, much to my surprise, uh, I think it was Monday when the boy died. Uh, Tuesday went by, I wrote, and I got word, I wrote back, what happened here? Wednesday I got a reply, not from the person I had emailed to, but from the grandmother of the boy who died. What could be worse than facing the accidental death of your 12-year-old grandson? This is the, mother, the grandmother's response, and it's the kind of thing that stirs my heart. We need people around us like this who rejoice in tribulation no matter how hard it is. So here's what she wrote. Dear, dear church, as surely you already know, Monday we were hit with a great tragedy. 
Eli, who was 12, was on a four-wheeler ride with his brother Joel, nine, taking one of our many trails through the woods. He was driving under a freshly fallen tree, which, had, which he had done the day before with his other brother Canaan, and yet when he drove across the lower branch today, uh, laying on the ground, the tree shifted and fell on his neck, and he died instantly. And Joel, the nine-year-old, ran to Josiah's apartment at Jason's house. I'm thinking probably a mile, mile and a half. A nine-year-old boy leaves his 12-year-old brother dead in the seat of a four-wheeler with a tree on him. And what does he do? He goes home. That's what these kids are raised to do. You go home to get help. When Josiah, a 23-year-old uncle, arrived, Eli had no pulse. It was a large tree, and he had to leave again to go get a chainsaw. By the time Bethany, the boy's mother, arrived on the scene, Eli had been laid on the ground looking peacefully asleep. Such a hard thing Josiah had to endure for our sake. Bethany and I would not have known what to do. And to see the depth of the tragedy would have been too hard to bear. But we know the scriptures, death works in me, but life in you. Josiah's burden was our relief. As you can imagine, we are deep in sorrow. But do not say his life ended prematurely, for we know him who numbers our days and bottles our tears. Before the foundation of the world, before Eli's life began in the womb, Jesus, who has given all power and authority from his father, knew that June 10, 2019 was the intended time. We are both at perfect peace and in deep sorrow. They are best friends. Jesus experienced both of them. He paved the way. Eli is experiencing the joy that is still set before us, even as I write, he knows how glorious Jesus is. Eli sees Jesus clearly. We still see through a glass darkly. But Jesus is the one we love. He is the one we know is good. Had he not been a man of sorrows and paved the way, would we not be in despair? But Jesus conquered the grave, and we are filled with joy, Joy and sorrow, these great friends, stirred together in this thing called life. This gift to fill up the lack of Christ's suffering. How can we even know what that means? We are, limit, we are invited to enter the sufferings of Christ. And although we would say no if we could, we embrace what has been given and we lean on his holy breast and we declare he is faithful to us every day. He is truly good. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our rock and our salvation Praise him with us, dear friends. What a response. This is two days after the boy uh, was killed. And then she says, the funeral for Eli will be on Thursday, June 13, at our house on Keel Mountain. And they put it on YouTube so people like us who couldn't be there could participate. 400 people sitting under a tree in their front yard. And the father of the boy who died led the service. And he said, in part... We just finished Philippians as a church. And Dennis Cox preached on Philippians 3 two weeks ago. And he got to the passage, or the part of the passage that says, we want to be entering into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. And I didn't hear anything else because the Spirit of God kept pressing on me. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to embrace suffering? And I said, after some reflection, this is serious. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to accept suffering. And on the 10th of June, he lost his son and entered the grace of God. So <clears throat> th this is our call this morning.
Can you, can you allow God to change the way you view the hardships of life and learn to trust God in the midst of tribulation? Why don't you stand with me and let's uh, close the service. Uh, I, I want to invite you, just where you are, just put your hands out before you and, and uh, I, I want to lead you in a couple of prayers of reflection for you asking the Spirit of God to apply this to your life. We want this to be transformational. We want this to be activated in your life. So Lord Jesus, you are the giver of faith. You bring us to the faith of salvation and you bring us faith to face the circumstances of life. And I cry out to you now, Lord, with all these people's hands open before you, would you visit us with a fresh outpouring of faith that, that we could see life from your perspective and not ours that we could trust you, that you're, you're working out your will in times that are easy and times that are hard, and, and we want to have faith to receive both equally well. Uh, and Lord, we stand before you. I, I want to invite you all to repent of resenting the trials God brings into your life. If you're holding on to anything, even for a past difficulty, where you're kind of angry with God or or not, not willing to understand that he's been at work in this, repent of resenting the trial and just say, Lord, I'm going to choose right now. I, I, I want to I rejoice in it. I want to celebrate your sovereignty in my life. And then embrace the proving process. You're, you're in the middle of that in your life. If you're old or young, God's going to keep bringing these circumstances are, are you willing to say, Lord, I embrace your process and I surrender? Corrie Timboom, when, when she was uh, freed from a Nazi prison camp, uh, concentration camp, she said she'd learn one great lesson. When you're in the midst of this kind of trial, uh, learn to nestle. Don't wrestle. So are you willing to say, God, I'm, I'm not wrestling with you anymore. I, I release this to you. I, I surrender to you. And then I encourage you to renew your sense of hope in God's sovereignty. Lord, would you activate this in our faith? Give us promises from your word. Uh, empower us by your spirit to persevere. Lord, we want to be your people. We want to demonstrate to the world the kind of faith that Becky Butler did in this letter. Lord, help us to, to accept even death as a grace from you because we shared life with those that we love. We bless you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we pray for you by your spirit to activate these truths in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.